Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. What is hate speech? Who decides what hate speech is? And how much control should the government have over what we see online? Should it be a lot of control, a little control? And there's various uh, issues that are going to be raised in terms of what we can see here on, in the United States on the internet. President Obama recently gave a speech. My guest, Mark Jameson, a non-resident senior fellow with the American Enterprise Institute, cited this speech by uh, President and former President Obama on um, more government control of what we can see and do on the internet. Um, and Mark, you wrote a very compelling blog on this subject. Um, would you tell us what was the 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 background for this remark? This remark that you wrote about. Sure. Thank you for having me on your program. I I appreciate the opportunity. As I understood what the the former president was saying, is that he's concerned that there are some people out there, people that don't include him, and and don't include people who like him, that are saying terrible things, are saying things that are untrue, and in many instances saying things that are deliberately untrue, and their voices should be suppressed. Now, he didn't say you should cut them off and censor them, but he said that the government should play a role in making it harder for those voices to be heard. And I think that's a dangerous thing. I hear all kinds of warning bells going off when you talk about the government's gonna decide what I can see. That well, really causes bells of alarm. Sure, and it should cause everyone bells. Of, it could, I, when I talk with people, there are people who really are in favor of that. They, they think that's a great thing. I think implicit in their beliefs is that truth is easy to know. And so that a government official, very smart, very well-informed, very, very, very well-motivated, can pick out things that are false and make sure that they're not said or at least not heard very easily and can pick out things that are true and elevate those and amplify those things. And of course, that's simply not true. Uh, truth is, is complicated. It emerges very slowly. And the things that you and I believe today that are, are held maybe very broadly to be true, five years from now, we'll discover, gosh, that was, that was all wrong. And we need that competition of ideas for that uh, better truth, if you will. Well, unfortunately, I feel like oftentimes what people say is what they call hate speech or uh, in, incorrect information has to do with more with political divisions than anything. It's if you don't like my politics, you may decide that I'm I'm using hate speech, whereas somebody else might read it who like my politics and it's not offensive to them, to them at all. I think we're being awfully sensitive about some things in this country. And I do I do know that we'd probably have to write several books to define what is hate speech. Um, what is your take on it? You say it's something that's hurtful. If someone is um, urging people to go out and kill someone or something like that, I mean, that's pretty clear cut. But most of what they're talking about, what we're talking about here is the much finer line. It's harder to define as to what people are talking about. Now, the one thing that, that always makes it inter interesting to me, Mark, is that someone has to write the algorithms, I guess that's the way to term it, that's going to decide what's wrong, what's hate speech, what can or cannot be seen. I question 
Who are the people that do the writing? What are their prejudices? And you know what? It's bound to come in. And that's a really good point that whoever we might set up as being the person who creates the algorithms or, or you know, reads every message and, and says what's going to be accepted, what's going to not be accepted, has all the same biases that anybody else does. Or they have just as many biases as anyone else does. They might be different, and they probably are. And that becomes a real problem. Um, so you might have the artificial intelligence system that's trying to figure out what would qualify as hate speech as you were talking about, or you may have an oversight board like Facebook does to decide what's going to be acceptable and what's not, or whatever other mechanism that you might have. But the challenge always is that any system you have is going to be imperfect. We've all seen graphs of how much knowledge is expanding. And so we know that in order to be able to make progress and knowledge, we have to be able to confront ideas that are uncomfortable to us. And part of that will be, we might think of as hate speech. And indeed, some of it might be motivated by hate. But the ideas should be in the, the marketplace of ideas, so they can be confronted and analyzed and dealt with. And so we actually understand the people who are expressing those thoughts and can have a good dialogue with them. So then the, what I'm hearing you say is that we need freedom of some sorts. I mean, I guess there has to be a limit on anything. Um, there was a, a, a website that I found called CloudWords, cloudwords.net has done a thing on the uh, government control of uh, the internet in many countries and how much information you can exchange on social media. It's rather startling to look at the maps that they've provided. Um, and it, it really was interesting because some of the countries have completely shut down, as you might imagine, China for one. Um, but at any rate, others are, are much freer, but still they're, they're having, a, they're going to moving, they seem to be moving towards less freedom uh, than, than not. And that's the, the trend that seems to be happening now you made an excellent point in your blog is that the social media is really not the center of how we form our opinions would you like to talk about that sure that was actually coming off of some research that was recently released from uh, some research at a couple of different universities they were trying to see if people who were watching Fox News, if they were to listen to CNN instead, would their biases change? Would their minds change? Would they think about news differently? Would they no longer know the kinds of things that Fox says? Because if you look at what does CNN say, what does Fox say, you find that they're really very different from each other in terms of how they describe news, but also the amount of time that they spend on it. And the researchers found that indeed, if a person is getting a, a steady diet of CNN bias instead of a steady diet of Fox bias, the person changes. Now, that tells us something about social media. What it tells us is the people who were getting the new CNN diet were not going to social media to create, to hang on to the same ideas, the same kind of uh, basic beliefs that they, they held before. And so it, it tells us that that darn traditional media is still pretty valuable, excuse me, it's still pretty powerful 
compared to the social media, even though one of the things that President Obama talked about was back in the good old days, we had the three broadcast, na three broadcast stations that are networks that held us together. Um, and now we have all these darn social media companies that are dividing us apart. That just wasn't true. The social media companies didn't create a divide um, because we find that those, those, those uh, traditional networks are very influential. In well, I think what I think what the social, yeah, I think what the social media companies do is that they restrict the information that you see, depending upon their viewpoint and what they want you to see. Would that be a fair summary? Oh yes, that's quite fair, and they're very open about it. And and to a certain extent, that has proven to be necessary. There have been social media sites that were growing in popularity suddenly became a, a grant place where a lot of, of things were being said that most people did not want to hear. And can we, those, can we take a break? Can we take a break here, Mark? I'm sorry. I'm going to have to uh, take a pause. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to this subject. Um, I'm Shirley Rooker. You're listening to Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Mark Jamison. He is a non-resident senior fellow with the American Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about hate speech, control of the internet, how much uh, influence should the government have over social media and what you can, can and can't see. And there are some moves towards making it more restrictive in terms of the what can be seen and, and some of the things that are going on around the world actually sure. making it more restrictive. Um, okay, you were talking, you were talking about uh, the how social media is being blamed for a lot of stuff that you feel is it comes from what we watch and probably what we read too when you get right down to it what newspapers do you read how do they influence what you believe so but i think they all have a part in this when you agree i think that's fair we our, our opinions are always shaped by the places we are and the information we receive I think the bigger concern that I have is that I don't want the government. I don't know. I don't care who's in charge, whether it's a Democrat, Republican or independent, whoever's in charge of our government. I don't want them making the decisions for me as to what I should see. Now, it seems to me that consumers, since we have a voice and a choice, can't we make some of our own judgments about whether things are appropriate? Are we totally uh, illiterate and unable to make those decisions, Mark? I don't think so. Well, some per people certainly think so. If you listen to Mr. Obama's speech, he talks about once we start getting these floods of conflicting opinions, our minds tend to shut down and, and we, we can't discern anymore. But the research says that the opposite is, ac is actually true that the more our minds are challenged, the more they grow, the more they're able to figure out how to identify truth versus something that is not true, to sort through all these complicated ideas. And, and so and we that diet of controversy, of conflicting opinions is actually very good for us. We grow individually and we grow as a culture as a result of that as well. I really like the, uh, the study that you published uh, in your blog uh, from PolitiFact, which attributed its lie of the year at least five times in the last, what, 12 years or so, at least five times to specific politicians. Uh, 
and other times to groups of politicians. So you're thinking about putting the government in control of what you can see on the internet? Uh, that does give you pause, doesn't it, Mark? Well, certainly it does. And, and PolitiFact also illustrates how hard it is to figure out what's true and what's not. So one of the other things I point out, you go back to 2017, and the lie of the year was then-President Trump saying that uh, this Russian interference is just fake news. And PolitiFact says that's false, and they point to the fact that there were indeed Russian ads on Facebook and a few other places. But we also know that part of the Trump-Russian narrative, as we now know, was created out of whole cloth. And so there was truth to what he was saying. There's truth to what PolitiFact was saying. It's just complicated. And so it's hard for someone to say, this is the lie of the year. This is a big lie. It's hard to sort through it. And we learn over time. Do you think that the fact that Elon Musk is, is taking over the Twitter is going to be significant? It very well could be. It's all going to be up to him, and, and he hasn't asked me for any advice, so I can't tell you what he's going to do. <laughs> but it's a wonderful opportunity because he's talked about um, opening up their algorithms. And I don't know exactly what he means there, but, but just think, what if you could go to a social media site like Twitter, or a Facebook or any other, and you could select, yeah, prioritize information based upon my past history. But three minutes from now, I want to hear what, uh, you know, an, an urban housewife in, in Minnesota might prefer to hear, or a, a farmer in Kansas might prefer to hear. And, and I really want to hear from these people, even though, you know, they, they offend me greatly, but I never want to hear from these people over here because I just think they're always wrong. I don't want to waste any time with them. Suppose you could do that at a, at a click of a button. Wouldn't that be an amazing sight? Maybe that's what he's going to create. If he does, that's going to be very powerful and probably very profitable. Well, it, it seems to me that here you're giving consumers choices. You're giving them the ability to make decisions and to inform themselves without somebody else deciding how they're going to inform us. So I, I like that. And I think, uh, you point as you pointed out, that what we really need, in addition to perhaps Musk opening up Twitter, um, would be new platforms, platforms are, that are out there that are giving us other opportunities. And you mentioned a couple of them um, in your blog, which such as Locals and Substack. Would you give us a little bit of information on what they are? Sure. Uh, Substack has uh, individual writers that you can subscribe to what they say. I have one person there that I subscribe to, and it's someone who's politically different from me, but she's really smart. And she's always fair, and so I want to hear what she has to say. So that's kind of what Substack does. Locals has a, a different group of people. They're not necessarily journalists. It's it's people who are providing lessons on how to think about this or or how to understand that. Um, a different type of a culture, a different type of, of payoff system, etc. Um, but what these these platforms are doing is opening up the system for more voices to be heard. So it's good for those who get to speak, but it's also really good for you and me that we get to hear challenging ideas that help us grow. 
yes, I like I like that. I like um, and respect the fact that you read somebody whose opinions are different from yours. I, I do that too sometimes. Of course, I may say some other words when I'm reading them, but who knows? But at any rate, um, it is informative. It is interesting to hear how other people think about a subject. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest right here on the Federal News Network. I'm Shirley Rooker. You're listening to Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Mark Jamison. He's a non-resident senior fellow with the American Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about various moves to regulate the internet, social media. What is uh, what is the government's role in this, or should it just step back and let let social media basically and consumers decide for the marketplace? And I think you're taking a somewhat view of the latter, Mark. Would I be correct? Let the government step back. Let us consumers let us decide what we're going to use. Let us decide because. If we don't watch them, we don't go to these platforms, they're not going to make any money. So, you know, eyes are what bring money. Am I right? Oh, that's exactly right. I, I think one of the scariest things is giving the, the political body with the greatest coercive power any place to be, to be able to determine what we hear and what we see. It's been pointed out by other people, and I think it's really important to note that the people who are politically weak, all they have is their speech. And if we let the politically powerful suppress them, then we've really done damage to them. So our speaking bet is beneficial to us. Our hearing is beneficial to us. It's beneficial to our culture. And it's our best way of protecting the people who, are, who lack power. When you look into your crystal ball, what do you see a couple of years down the road? I think we'll still be in the struggle that we're in. I think there's there's we're in a, in for um, a significant time of battles between those who really are going to fight for free speech and those who are going to fight for their belief that they know what truth is and that they can sort truth from from falsehoods. Um, that's always been a battle. Um, there we went through a period of time in this country where the free speech really did win, um, but we're swinging back the other direction. I think we're going to end. We're in for a fight. They're certainly in for a fight in in Europe. We've seen what's going on there. Yeah, there's a lot of countries like China where right now the suppressors have indeed won. We'll see how that plays out in in those places. Well, you know, the concern that gives the thing that gives me pause about government having more control is they could just literally shut down our access to the internet. Um, I don't like that idea. I don't. I don't like uh, the fact that. I couldn't go and find my favorite uh, writer or whatever, a news station, news channel on, on the internet and so on. So I think there is reason for concern. Hopefully you'll, we'll be out there seeing the development of new opportunities for consumers to exchange information and ideas. Now, when Twitter first started, and frankly, I don't know that much about it, and maybe you don't either, but did they do this kind of censorship that they're doing now? Or has this something that has evolved and as their politics have more, as politics is more and more taken over, how they control content? And the same is true for search engines as well. Um, it, it, do, has this really markedly changed? As far as we can tell, yes. Um, the, the amount of, of content management has, has grown over time. 
Um, I, I can't tell you what the different breaking points and such were, but, but certainly you can tell a difference in Facebook once the Cambridge Analytica revelations came out, one back in 2016 or 17, 16, I think it was, or 17 when that came out. Um, that, that changed Facebook quite a bit. Um, tell so me, tell us what that was. Describe uh, that for us. So the Cambridge Analytica revelations was simply uh, the, um, the news, the finding that a, a, a consulting firm in the UK working with a professor from the University of Cambridge had downloaded a significant amount of data from Facebook and then was using it in different ways. And one of their clients turned out to be um, uh, President Trump, then candidate Trump, and it was used in his election campaign. And uh, people were surprised, Facebook was surprised at the amount of data that this firm had. Now, reality was that Obama, when he was running for president, actually got more data out of Facebook than Cambridge Analytica did and used it more extensively. But the revelation with Cambridge Analytica and Trump really hit a nerve. And so Facebook reacted very strongly, Congress reacted very strongly, and that changed the cultures of people who were running the, the social media sites. I, I did not know that Obama had gotten more information from Facebook. Interesting, yeah. right? We didn't yeah. read that in most of the newspapers. They surprised Facebook. Facebook did not realize how much data you could download from Facebook. Because um, the, the Obama campaign got the entire what they call social graph, which was all the connections that people have. Uh, Facebook didn't realize that was possible until the Obama campaign did it. Well, that was pretty slick of them. I mean, <laughs> I, I suppose makes me a little cynical about everything, though. Uh, any last words? We just have a couple, just have a minute here. Well, I, I just think it's really important for people to engage in this debate and, and fight for the freedom of people to express ideas that you're uncomfortable with, to seek to really understand those ideas and to be respectful enough of the people who hold them that you listen to them and make sure you understand them before you start expressing your ideas to them. That is how we form a culture. We'd have that commonality and that's how we evolve into the future. Don't you think that we, uh, we need to develop a little bit thicker skin too in terms of what we find so offensive? So if somebody disagrees with me, I should not be describing that as hate speech. I should just be giving them the right to have their own opinion. But that doesn't seem to be the the way that the world is tending to operate right now. Would you agree? Well, I, I don't know what might motivate some other people in that regard, but but yeah. certainly it is important for each of us to be able to to confront and listen to um, ideas that really do bother us. Because just think that's uh, I've heard you know, some significant scholars say that every important idea, every important new idea makes everybody significantly uncomfortable. But if we don't hear that idea, we never make progress. That's a beautiful way to, to put it and a, a great way to interview, to end the interview, Mark. Thank you so much for putting this into perspective for us, giving some insight into it. And um, I'm still waiting for the book on what is hate speech. Probably have to wait a while for that. Um, uh, but at any, at any rate, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you've been listening to Of Consuming Interest. My guest has been Mark Jameson. He's a non-resident senior fellow with the American Enterprise Institute. And we've been discussing 
a an article, a blog that he wrote on government and the access to the internet and social media. Mark, thank you so much for being with us. Um, you're so listening much, to up. You're listening to of consuming interest right here on the Federal News Network. I'm Shirley Rooker. You can reach me at Shirley at callforaction.org. That's Shirley at callforaction.org. Thank you for being with us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know eight out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.